So I'm going to talk about the shortened effect of macroeconomic variation on health outcomes. I say short one because I'm not talking about comparing, you know, Ireland in the 1950s with Ireland uh, now, when obviously we're, we're both healthier and wealthy. Nor am I talking about comparing Ireland now with, or Europe now with Sub-Saharan Africa, where again, we're healthier and wealthy. Um, let me just make some broad comments about, about this literature, and I'll, I'll say a bit more detail about, about some of them. As in so many areas, there's fairly extensive evidence on this uh, for the United States, going back a couple of decades. Uh, probably has been less for Europe, but that's changing. Um, perhaps because, you know, the, big, the Great Recession that we've experienced, a lot of people have been, have been working on this now. Um, it's hard to generalize about fairly diverse literature, but it seems to me there's been something of a focus on mental health or physical health. Uh, I think that's kind of reasonable because maybe that's more likely, uh, or you're more likely to find an effect of, uh, of unemployment uh, and macroeconomic variation in general. Um, and there's also something of a focus, I think, on mortality rather than morbidity. I guess that's partly for data reasons. You know, when people die, we know about it, we know why they die. Um, whereas mortality is, is not at all uh, well documented. You know, we, we have good data on some uh, diseases, right? Well, cancer tends to be well documented. Certain infectious diseases, uh, HIV and so on. But lots of other things we don't know that much about. Uh, obviously, you know, minor diseases, if you have a cold, nobody knows. If you have flu, nobody knows. Um, it's a diverse literature, kind of methodologically, in the sense that there's lots of micro-studies looking at data on individuals, and there's also macro-studies looking at kind of aggregate trends. And also, you know, this work is mostly done either by medics, like epidemiologists, and by economists, and, and maybe others in there as well. I'm not, I don't mean to exclude them. So it's, it's, a, big, uh, it's a big topic. Let me say a little bit about um, how it might matter. So this is a typology of effects that I put together as a way of thinking about how the macroeconomy can affect people's health. Um, I'm not wedded to it. Uh, you can argue about what belongs where. I find it a helpful way of thinking about things. So I suppose first order effects are what I think are the most direct effects of how you know, unemployment in particular can affect health. And this works through what would be called external causes. So, you know, if there's effects on suicide uh, or homicide, potentially, um, and things like accidents, um, most particularly road accidents and workplace accidents. If there's fewer people at work, uh, then you might have fewer workplace accidents, uh, you have fewer people commuting, and so on. And some of the evidence, uh, there's some evidence on this. Um, and separately, uh, Vincent Hogan and I have started to look at the effect on, of the macroeconomy on road deaths in Ireland. Uh, when we just, just started working on that. Then I suppose you might think of more second, what I would call second order effects, more indirect effects, uh, largely happening through things like health behavior. So maybe uh, in a recession, people take more exercise, uh, there's more time for walking, uh, or they, they cycle, they have less money, so they cycle more, they take, you know, 
more exercise. Some have argued that people will switch to healthier diets because they've more time, so they have more time to cook fresh food as opposed to taking something and plugging it in the microwave when you get home from work. Uh, people might cut back on, on smoking uh, because they have less, less money. Stress is kind of the odd one out here because these are these are behaviours where stress is an outcome in its own right um, and is a bad thing. But but I put it here because stress can interact with physical health. Right? So chronic stress uh, is bad for you. It can cause um, uh, ulcers, um, uh, hypertension. It can have effects on the brain to reduce what's called neurogenesis. Um, and the biology of that is Acute stress, episodic stress, not such a big deal. You can live with it. So, you know, you're a zebra, a lion chases you, it's a bit stressful. But assuming you get away from it, you get over it. Whereas chronic stress, which is what humans tend to be more susceptible to, um, has fairly well documented bad effects on, on health. And then finally, what I call third order effects, more indirect effects, which would be that, you know, even forgetting about all these, it could be that in a recession, uh, governments cut back on health expenditure so that, that the health system contracts and that that has some knock-on effect on health. Uh, I suppose in general, I think the more indirect the effect is, it's going to be harder to pin down, right? So if you're looking for the effect of, of this, you know, you've got to say, well, the government cuts back health expenditure, that has some effect on how hospitals operate, that may have some effect on people's illness and so on. So it's, it's going to be harder to pin down, and I suppose it's more likely to take, uh, take a longer time to, to, to kick in, so it may be harder to observe. Uh, I'll, I'll say a little bit that that'll be the final topic actually in, in today's presentation, this issue of time. But let me say a bit about uh, the literature, so this is a, 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 a snapshot of, of a very selective reading of the literature. Um, certainly prior to to 2000, um, or prior to 1980 in particular, um, the general view I think was that health is pro-cyclical, right? that we're better off, we're, we're healthier in booze. And that arose from a series of studies by a guy, Brenner, who's a medic, US medic. Um, he had three studies, I just mentioned two of them. Um, after those papers came out, a, a lot of people um, piled on mostly economists, kind of trying to replicate it, trying to see it in all other countries, playing around with the specifications. And my reading of that is that his results have shown to be quite fragile. Um, and what really put the cat among the pigeons was a paper by Chris Room, an economist then at uh, one of North Carolina universities uh, in 2000, and he had some follow-up papers, where he showed reasonably convincingly that mortality is pro-cyclical. That's the opposite. More people die in a boom. And the effects are not trivial. So for example, uh, so he's using state level variation in unemployment. US state level variation in unemployment. That a one percentage point increase in unemployment uh, reduced mortality by about half a percentage point. So in terms of uh, numbers of deaths, 
depending on what year you look at it, you know, um, you're talking about 12,000 more or fewer deaths with a 1% change in unemployment. That's the US. And what he argues is it's largely about healthier lifestyles, some of the things I talked about earlier, and fewer accidents. That, that plays a big part. A more recent paper in the AEA proceedings, Miller et al., kind of go over the same ground. And, and they don't change the, the story of room, but they try to kind of put it under a microscope, dig a bit deeper. Uh, and for them, the emphasis is that a lot of this effect is on road death. Um, um, but one of the interesting things that, that they do is they break it down by age, uh, deaths by age, and also by uh, labor market status, so comparing people in the labor force with people who are uh, retired. So you find that when you have changes in unemployment, there's big changes in cardiovascular deaths. But the funny thing is, it's not people in the labor force. So this is not about you know, people working more and keeling over with a heart attack. It's the retired people who are keeling over or not keeling over with heart attacks. These are people who are not working. But there's something else you know, going on. Um, and it may be that it's some, some connection to, to healthcare so it kind of illustrates the point that you do need to dig a bit deeper when you're looking at these aggregate trends. If you, if you want to get the mechanism, get the kind of huge value, um, not just how many. Um, the more recent paper by Chris Room basically now finds that there's no cyclical pattern anymore. It's not a counter nor, nor, nor pro-cyclical. But it's a combination of two things, is that the road deaths and the cardiovascular deaths are still pro-cyclical, um, but cancer deaths have become I don't know why. It's not, not something you would particularly expect in anyway. Just one other study I'll, I'll, I'll mention, uh, because it's a micro-study, paper by Wachter and Sullivan, where they look at individual job losses. It's a study, long-term study in Pennsylvania, I think. And what they find is that long-term layoffs have big effects on mortality. So this is the opposite story, the story that you might find more intuitive. So people who get laid off long term, their life expectancy falls by like a year and a half. Significant enough. Um, but it depends on their age. So if you're 64 and you're going to retire in a year's time and you get laid off, it doesn't make much difference. Whereas if you're in your 40s, then it does. So, so there's just a few remarks before I move on. There is this kind of conflict or potential conflict between what's happening at the micro level and the macro, um, something that would, would also happen uh, with the European data. And in fact, uh, Laney and I are, are thinking of, of looking at this, uh, not in terms of health, but in terms of subjective well-being, to see can we rationalize the micro and the macro story. Um, the evidence also suggests that you, you, know, you need to disaggregate by age, employment status, and so on. Um, and finally, you know, US data is very interesting, but my feeling is it may be a poor guide for, for, for Europe um, because, you know, cultural differences, historical differences, all sorts of things, but particularly different healthcare systems, different health insurance systems, uh, labor markets are different, um, you know, driving culture.
But this is all very well, but we really need to look at European history. So there's a couple of papers on, <coughs> recent papers on, on Ireland that I think are worth mentioning. The first is, is what I was mentioned earlier, uh, the work by Brendan and Dermot Walsh. They look at the aggregate trend in suicide over, over a long period. Um, and my interpretation of their work is that, you know, yes, increased unemployment does uh, increase suicide, but the effect is relatively modest. Uh, so we have a huge increase in unemployment recently, and yes, suicide has gone up, but not by a dramatic amount. And that's partly, my understanding, because it's been offset by decreased alcohol consumption, because in a recession people have less money to spend, including less money to spend on alcohol. That's partly offset it. Um, Dave Madden has a paper, um, well it's just coming out, but it's been a working paper a few years, uh, where he looks at the same outcome that I'm going to look at, objective general health. Um, <laughs> nothing happens at the bottom tail of the distribution, the bad end. But what does happen is the top category, people who say their health is very good, that's been kind of going down steadily over this period. And it's been going down because the good category has been going up. So, so there's been some worsening of health. People, if you like, are switching from very good to good. But this is over whatever, over that period. It doesn't, now Dave may know more than me about this, but it doesn't look particularly correlated with unemployment. It's kind of a trend that doesn't you know, match closely with the Celtic Tiger and then the recession and so on. And then there's another study. Um, the Tilda people have brought out a report comparing the first two waves of the Tilda data. So this is a survey of aging. So people born uh, before 1960. Clear uh, <coughs> about the definition, people born in 1962 are not old. Uh, I stressed you. Um, they also look at subjective general health. And uh, um, what they find, pretty much the opposite of what Dave finds, is that the top categories, very good and good, uh, are, have gone up. Um, whereas the people with poorer health have gone down. Now one difference is, this is, uh, this is an, an aging cohort, so when you look at people, uh, when you look at the data at three years, uh, three different points, they're all, the people are also old, okay? they're, they're older. Um, so it's not the same as looking at fresh sample every year. So you're also partly picking up an aging effect as well as a kind of chronological So I'm going to use uh, the European Social Survey, uh, which is collected in six waves from 2002 to 2012. Uh, the seventh wave is, is going to be going out this year. Uh, we'll be, I'm on the scientific, study, <coughs> scientific committee for, for Ireland, so we're going to be putting it out to tender soon. Um, and what I'm going to do is compare subjective general health uh, before and after. I'll give you a little bit more detail on this. So I, I do a number of things. Uh, what I've chosen is two waves, what I define as before and after. So wave three was collected in 2006 and seven, and that seems to me the, the, the last wave before the recession hit. And then I'm also going to use the latest wave, which has just become available a couple of months ago, uh, which is collected in 2012-13. And I'm also going to do is show you a graph of the distribution. Um, my, my 
time was to look at the, the so-called pigs. Um, the, the peripheral countries, Portugal, Ireland, Spain, Greece, Italy. Uh, but I can't include Italy and Greece because they're not, um, both of them are not in both ways. Uh, I think Greece is missing from this one and Italy is missing from that one or, or the other way around. Um, and then, you know, just as, as comparators, I thought I'd include the UK, which has also had a recession, but relatively mild. Um, and Germany, because it's actually done rather well over this period, in the sense that unemployment actually fell. So, you know, I didn't want to show you 30 or 25 uh, histograms, so I picked these five. But unless you think I've been very selective with the evidence, what I'm also going to do a second exercise for all EU countries, well, as many EU countries as I could get, I'm just going to show you a, a, a plot, basically, of the change in a health measure, uh, well, actually two health measures, and the change in unemployment. That kind of gives you the big picture. So that will qualify, that may qualify this. And in the third piece of the puzzle, uh, I'm going to do some simple panel data models using every country uh, in the data set for every wave. Uh, I don't think any of these pieces are kind of slam dunks, but Think of broad picture kind of emerges. I, I hope to convince you. Any questions? Any questions? So we have a bit about the European Social Survey. Data set I'm, I'm, I'm very fond of. Uh, I've been working with it for a couple of years. I have a paper of my own on it and a paper with, with, with Cormac. Um, six waves, 32 countries in, in total. Um, a random sample of the, the population, uh, non-institutional population, so people in prison aren't going to be in it, people in nursing homes are going to be in it either. Uh, the interviews are face-to-face, -face. not a panel, so it's a fresh sample each year. Unfortunately, not every country is in every wave, because some countries kind of came in and then dropped out, couldn't get the money, um, sometimes they came back, and uh, some countries just came in over time, so more countries have come in over time, particularly kind of Eastern Southern Europe. Sample size is roughly 1,900 per country per wave. Um, and although we, re we refer to the waves as, say, 2002, 6, 8, it's usually collected over two years. So they go into the field kind of in the autumn, get about half the data in by Christmas, and then keep going again after Christmas, and it's nearly all in by March. That would be kind of a typical. Some individual countries have some kind of cock-ups and just don't make anything. But that's, that's the kind of broad pattern. So a nice data set. If you're a straight down the line economist, it's probably not the best data set to you if you want to look at labor markets and stuff. But if you're interested in kind of political stuff and social values and things, there's a lot of really nice things in there. So this is just 
So there's a standard question uh, referred to as subjective general health, where people are asked to rate their own health with five categories. Very good, good, fair, bad, or very bad. When I first came across this years ago, I thought, you know, it can't be very good. Uh, it struck me as kind of dodgy. Um, but I asked Cecil Keller, and some of you know, epidemiologist here, and said, you know, this for real, and she assured me that it was, that it was actually considered a good measure uh, amongst epidemiologists. Sorry, so it's So I just merged those two, right, because it's tiny. Um, so as I said, it's generally seen as, as predictive of, of morbidity. What it doesn't pick up is, uh, what I pick up is psychiatric morbidity. You need separ separate measures for that. There are alternative, uh, what I call subjective specific health measures. So this is used in, in things like the cohort studies, like share use. NCBS, I presume Tilda does as well, where people are asked, you know, do you have cancer? Have you ever had diabetes? And for some of those anyway, they're not that reliable. Uh, recent study by um, Mike Shields, Carl Cropper, and someone. Uh, so for hypertension, it's not very good. Lots of people walking around with undiagnosed hypertension, but they're asked if they have it. That's, that, that's not what, 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 what we're using. There's a second question, um, which I haven't really seen elsewhere, but it's in the data, so I thought I might as well look at it. And people are asked, are you hampered in your daily activities by illness, disability, 
infirmity or mental problems. And the three possible responses are a lot, to some extent, or no. Now, I hadn't really focused as much on this because I hadn't seen this question. There's a question like it, I know, in Share, um, but it's, it's phrased quite differently. <coughs> Certainly these are correlated, you know, they're, they're kind of picking up something similar. Um, so, uh, I'm going to show you the distribution of this uh, for a bunch of countries before and after, and then we're going to do some, uh, some look at some correlations, and then we're going to look at some regressions. So here we go. Uh, so this is the distribution of subjective general health wave in 2012, and remember the good categories are over here, to your left. Um, it might have been nicer to have the, the corresponding bars right beside each other, but Stata really doesn't want to allow you to do it. It makes it almost impossible. You may have to branch out to Excel, huh? hmm? <laughs> <laughs> You may have to branch out Yeah, I can think of that. You can get Stata to do it, you have to trick it. Um, and then it causes other problems that then have to sort it out. So, uh, but if you can't see the difference between these two, that's okay, because that's the point. <laughs> um, nothing happens basically down here, so the lower end of the distribution, which is to the right. Um, but you can see that this gap here has narrowed. So basically, some of the people who were saying they had good health Portion of people saying they had good health shrinks. Portion of people saying they had uh, very good health expands. So you can see that that vertical gap is a good deal smaller than it was. So does it look like um, <coughs> subjective general health has got worse before and after recession? Uh, to be fairly clear, no. If anything, it's got better. So that's uh, that's the story with Ireland. I'll show you some test statistics uh, uh, in a couple of minutes. Spain is a little bit more complicated. Um, again, the bottom tail doesn't really change. What happens is the, the, the folks saying their health is, is, is good shrinks, but they move out. So the, the, the categories on either side expand. So it, it's like some of these folks get better, some of them get worse. So it spreads out with a more unequal distribution of health. Um, but it's, you can't really say uh, <laughs> on this alone whether people's uh, subjective general health has got better or worse. Um, it may depend on who you, you, know, you want to put weights on. Uh, uh, so, I don't know, again, this line is 40%, is you can see it. So it was, say, this group was nearly 50% of the distribution. Now it's just over 40. This was about 15%, and now it's nearly 20. You see. And again, this has fallen. Uh, sorry, this has expanded from about 16 to about 20. So no dramatic uh, sign of, of, of health getting worse in Spain. Portugal, um, 
different story from, from Spain. Again, nothing happens down the bottom. Um, but you can see that the people saying their, their health is fair has contracted quite a lot. So they've all gone up, right? So the top two categories expand at the expense of the, the, the fair category. Nothing happens there, so don't worry about the tail. Um, so that was just that subjective general health is getting a lot better. So now our two comparator countries, uh, United Kingdom and Germany. So this is the UK. Uh, if they look identical to you, you're, you're basically right. There's no, there's no difference. Nothing, nothing has happened in the UK. Distribution of health, subjective general health is, is the same. Finally, our, our German cousins. Um, uh, what happens, I don't know how obvious this is, is that the top group actually contracts. So, so there's nearly 20% of Germans said their health was very good in 2006, and that's fallen to about 15%. Um, and that's mainly because of, well, this group kind of expanding. They're very good. So, paradoxically, if you like, the one country which has lower unemployment, reduced unemployment over this period, um, actually seems to have slightly worse health outcomes. Of course, it, in one sense, it fits in with the earlier studies saying that good health is actually counterintuitive. So, what I want to do now to say, well, maybe, you know, these are five countries and you might say, well, there's a lot more countries there and maybe these are uh, non-random selection. So let's kind of step back and look at a, a broader picture uh, across Europe. Um, because this is a distribution with, with four categories, I want to reduce it to a scalar. I want to come up with one measure for each country uh, so we can correlate it with the change in them. Um, and, you know, it's a matter of opinion. You can say, well, will we, will we focus on this group? Will we focus on this group? Will we focus on these two? Um, so the first thing I did was to focus on the top two, right? people with good health, good or very good, and just see what's happened to the share of the top two categories. Right? Clearly, most people are either good or very good. I want to see what happens uh, to that and correlate it with the change in so those are, those are F-tests for uh, equality of distribution. And you can see, for the UK, you can't project that it's unchanged, right, which is what you expect. For all the others, you can, you can reject. Okay, so this would be like a chi-square test, standard Pearson chi-square test, 
but because uh, there's sampling weights, it ends up using an F-test instead. So as you expect, no change in Britain, the changes in the others are, are significant at the 5% level. So, so what I've got here is the change in the unemployment rate in percentage points, and here I've got the, the change in the share or the percentage reporting that they're in the top two categories right, as opposed to the bottom two. Um, and this is for all the countries that I could get a consistent measure of unemployment from Eurostat. So it's an online thing. Uh, so there's eight, I think there's 18 of them. Um, and it looked pretty random to me. Okay? Um, there is a, a negative correlation, minus 0.1405, not remotely statistically significant. Um, and uh, so Spain had a huge increase in, in unemployment. Um, and you know, Germany is, is the opposite. So Germany is the only one I think where the change in unemployment is, is uh, where it's fallen. So that's you know I think consistent with, with the earlier results. There's no obvious positive effect of unemployment on the negative effect on, 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 on health. Now it did um, it did worry me that this was the wrong question because if you think of the earlier slides I showed you and um, most of the action was not um, between the kind of top and bottom of the distribution, it was within the top, right? It was kind of one of these going up and the other going down. So it may be that combining these two uh, misses the point. Um, and I thought somebody would ask me about that. And I was just going to sort of wave my hand away and say, ah, it's all the same if you did that. But to be sure, to be sure, I, 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 um, I looked at this this morning and I'm glad I did because it actually tells a very different story. So what I'm going to do is replicate this diagram, but I'm just going to focus in the share of the very good right, over <coughs> everybody else. So the top category relative to your three categories. And here we go. So now this is the, the change in the share of the, uh, the top category. And you can see there's actually uh, a fairly clear positive correlation. So that's saying uh, unemployment rising, right, which is a bad thing, is actually associated with increases in the proportion reporting good health. So that's that's like a Chris Moon story. Uh, and the correlation is 0.46, the p-value 0.04, and you can see that Spain is an outlier, so if you chose to take that out, you get a, a much bigger correlation, 0.6, and it's much better determined. Um, so, if anything, this is saying that higher unemployment, at least, you know, as far as you can tell anything from a bivariate correlation, um, is associated with um, improved subjective health. So I guess, if you were to study these previous graphs, 
turning this thing into a scalar and taking the averages. But I think you'd have to look back at the validation studies to say that there's an information content in, in terms of predictive power. Yeah. And people tell about it and the recollection from that is that the predictive power is at the bottom. If you say that you have bad health, that's a reasonably good, reasonably good indication that your prospects aren't great. Whereas if you, I, I would have to look back, but I would be a bit surprised if saying it's very good versus Yeah. I mean, at the bottom, you just, well, from the, well, from the five point you looked at, very little happens. Bottom category uh, doesn't seem to change much at all. That's just in those five that I looked at. Yeah, so so I, could, I could do another version of this diagram looking at the share in the bottom category. Um, and my guess is. Thank you. 
show you some evidence which kind of rejects, I think, what part of your point, um, that I don't think this is picking up happiness. Um, uh, but so the, the other obvious point here is that you're, you have the micro Yeah. So you could look at whether these as well are in your body are reporting similar levels of health in each sample. Yeah, so You know, in some sense, if you're interested in, let's say you're interested in the, the unemployment rate, then looking at micro models of individuals' unemployment rates isn't going to explain the aggregate unemployment rate. So here I'm, I'm trying to pick up the, for want of a better word, the aggregate health rate. Um, so that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at the micro stuff, but reconciling them. simple correlations um, I'm assuming that the age structure I mean I'm not conditioning on anything by right? yeah, yeah. simple correlation uh, and the micro level
those are the kind of correlations just for the EU. Um, my next trick. Oh, yes. So the next thing I want to do is do some regressions. Right? Now I can have a seminar where people get some regressions. So what I do is, from within the data, I generate measures of the unemployment rate, as opposed to taking it from Eurostat. Because, well, first of all, not every country in the data is in the EU. I'm getting uh, consistent rates of unemployment uh, for all these countries for the time period I want. At first blush, it didn't seem that easy. So I thought I can just generate it from within the data. Um, now, the way, they, the way unemployment is generated in, in, the, uh, in the data, you can either be unemployed seeking work or unemployed not seeking work. So in principle, you can have two different measures of unemployment, kind of broad and narrow. Um, I've done the broad one, uh, so everyone who's unemployed is counted unemployed, whether they're seeking work or not. But you can do it the other way, uh, the correlation is 0.985, it's no different at all. And I'm going to look at um, three different outcomes, which we've touched on already, the, the share of those who are very good, so good, uh, the share who are just in the top category, so very good, and then also this measure from the hampered question, right? So people say they're hampered as opposed to the other two categories, which was a lot and to some extent. Um, and I'm just gonna do, first of all, a very simple bivariate model, just regressing uh, this on the unemployment rate. Then I'm gonna bring in country fixed effects. Then I'm gonna take those out and put in time effects, and then I'm gonna include them all. So Kevin, the unit analysis is the country And so it's not going to be a balanced panel because I'm going to use every country that I can do this for. So it's, it's not all. So ESS is 32 countries. This is going to be 31 because Albania gets picked out. I have nothing against Albania, but it's only in the last phase of the data. So maybe fix effects you lose it. So you can only use it for 31 countries. Um, and you know, some, some countries are in there for just two waves. Because the unemployment rate is generated from a random sample within the country, potentially there's a, an errors and variables model. So I'm going to spend a bit of time on that. What the hell have I got? Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> this this, this will be quick and, and I hope painless. So this is taking our, our uh, share of those in very good, good health. And basically, no matter what you do, what, what combination of fixes effects, unemployment um, has no significant effect on, on the outcome. So this is the bivariate model. This is fixed effects only, time effects only, and then everything. And the constant is really well determined. Really love that parameter. Uh, but unemployment is doing nothing. Um, second outcome is just looking at the share of those in the top category. 
again, it's uh, basically the same story. If you didn't have fixed effects, uh, then this is almost significant and, po and positive. Uh, but there's no reason. Um, sorry, this is without time effects. Pardon me. Uh, uh, this is. Uh, yeah. Um, so again. So I'm using a, an unemployment rate generated from within a sample rate. So we know that that's not going to be equal to the true unemployment rate. Um, and assuming that the measurement error is classical, i.e. it's white noise, not correlated with anything, then our OLS estimates are going to be biased towards zero. Right? They're going to be too small in magnitude. Lots of different ways of dealing with this in statistics. Method best known to economists is uh, instrumental variables. Fascination that. Uh, and there are other kind of fancier methods based on assumptions about higher distributions of the x's. I'm going to use a kind of older technique, somewhat more obscure technique called errors and variables regression. Let me briefly take you through that. So this is the standard formula for ordinary squares regression. We all, we all learned that our mother's knee. Um, and you can define the reliability of a variable as one minus the variance of the noise over the variance total variance of the x. Um, and what errors and variables regression does is it replaces that x prime x with x prime x minus s, which depends on the reliability of the variable. So if this is 1, you have no measurement error, nothing to worry about, then the s drops out. But as this falls from 1, right, you're getting a, no, you're a less reliable uh, variable, you have more measurement error, then uh, this thing, x prime x minus s, gets smaller, your beta gets bigger, and what that's saying is, that's telling you you've, you've underestimated the true effect by more. Um, sometimes you might know something about the reliability of a variable. So if you're using psychometric scales, like a, some index of aggression or whatever, and it's based on multiple items, uh, then, then the, you know, the, the convex alpha will tell you the Here, uh, I'm just putting my hands up and saying, I don't know how reliable this is, but let's see what the consequences of different levels of reliability, unreliability are. So I've just taken one of those models I showed you. So here, we're assuming perfect reliability. So this is what we got, the OLS. And then as we make our measure less reliable, we're getting, what we're seeing here is that bigger uh, measurement error bias. So this is the true effect. This is the OLS one we estimated. Uh, and my, my take on this is, you know, if, if, if my measure isn't complete rubbish, you know, for, you know, fairly reasonable measurement error, then it doesn't do too much damage. You know, you know the confidence interval is widened because you've 
more noise, you're going to have wider contrast intervals. Uh, okay. Last thing, this is the, this is the treat. I didn't want you going away empty-handed and telling me, oh, I guess I didn't find anything. So I've snuck in an extra outcome. This gets back to what Brendan said and also that, that, that Chris said. The data set also includes a question where people are asked about happiness on a scale of 0 to 10. And so I just replicated the analysis uh, uh, for that. Um, I'm not interpreting this as mental health, to be absolutely clear. This is not a measure of mental health. It's not designed to do that. Um, but what you do find, no matter what way you cut it in terms of fixed effects, is that unemployment is fairly clearly associated with a lower level of mean happiness. Um, and that kind of gets back to Brendan's point, because I think if what he was saying was true, um, that we found no effect on, um, on, on our measure of health, we should find no effect on unemployment. So I think they're picking up different things. We can argue about it, about it later. So I suppose the way I put it is, or the way I think about it is, it's kind of easy to make people uh, unhappy. It's kind of hard to make people sick. So let me summarize the results and then conclude with some final remarks. So for Ireland, Spain, and Portugal, subjective general health not obviously worse, and perhaps better after the recession hits. Uh, for Germany, which is a falling employment, it's, it's slightly worse. Uh, across the EU in general, the change in unemployment is uh, uh, kind of weakly negatively correlated with, sorry, with good, but I mean good, stroke very good. And uh, if we just look at the top category, it's actually strongly positively correlated. Uh, Cross-country panel data regressions show no real association between unemployment and health. Now, what I haven't shown you is that I also recalculated the health measures just for the labor force. So just selecting out know, people who are either employed or unemployed. Because you might say, well, you know, changes in unemployment won't mean anything for people who are retired. Um, this is a bit like what, what that other uh, American study did. Um, and somewhat to my surprise, I thought this is, if anywhere you'll find an effect, it's here. But the results are not worth showing because they're no different from the earlier ones. Um, and a, a negative effect or a negative association of unemployment on, on, on happiness. So let me give you my final remarks. So my interpretation of this is that physical health is, is fairly robust. You know, to, uh, to uh, unemployment, perhaps more than mental health. And that seems reasonably intuitive to me. I don't think this says anything about the policy of austerity. And I say that because there are papers out there which have looked at this issue and they, they find big negative effects and they, they interpret it as a verdict on austerity. And I think that's completely wrong. Because we observe Ireland to Spain as it is, which is some combination of the shock recession, financial crisis, and policy. Uh, to interpret you know, this as a, as a comment on a vertical austerity, we need to know how much was due to the policy and how much was due to the shock. And I don't think we can do that with any great precision. At least I don't know. I don't think I can do it. Finally, the Zhao Enlai defense. The Zhao Enlai defense, Zhao Enlai was a Chinese leader who was famously asked um, in 1971, I think, what do you think of the French Revolution? And 
Um, I used to see him as having deep thinking Marxists, you know, thinking he's used to historical terms. It turns out he, he was actually referring to the 1968 Paris riots. So it was, was not a long-term thing at all. I found in, in, in this discussion, people do come up with, when you, when you talk about the sort of results that I've shown you, they say, oh, it's too early to say. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's reasons why that may be true. We know that there, are, there can be long-run, very long-run effects of, say, deprivation in childhood on adult health outcomes, sort of work of Barker, for example. It can cross generations through things like epigenetic effects. So it's, it's possible. But I'm a little bit, I get a little bit irate about that argument, to be honest. Because it seems to me you're in, 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 in danger of data mining. Right? So you haven't found an effect for 2012. Let's try again in two years' time. And if you don't find it then, oh, it's still too early to say. And um, maybe we should split by male and female. Um, and maybe we should split by men and women, and we should use some different estimators. And, you know, if you keep searching long, hard enough, you'll eventually find an effect. Right? That's just type, well, you're increasing the probability of type 1 error by a false positive. Without wishing to, to undermine people, to me, this smacks a motivated reason. Right? Concept in psychology where when people are presented with new information that doesn't fit with the way they think, they're, they uh, selectively recruit uh, reasonings to kind of, uh, so it's like cognitive dissonance. Uh, they selectively recruit arguments to dismiss what they don't want to hear. Uh, motivated reasoning, of course, is something that other people 